0: Hey everyone, you're listening to Vegan Theology. This is episode 22 with Kevin and Sarah Hale. What's going on, Sarah?
1: What's going on? We're here and I'm excited. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Second week of Lent yeah. is where we are. How's your Lent going, sir? Uh, not
0: bad. It's been busy work and other yeah. commitments. And same for you, right? I was
1: thinking, I'm so glad the season of Lent and the preparation for Holy Week is a full six weeks. Because, yeah, life gets lifey. Yeah. And we start out with really beautiful intentions, and uh, we get derailed. Right. And I think the important thing is not to feel defeated or beat ourselves up, but to go again. Keep plugging away. And I'm glad we're talking about this, because I was thinking yesterday or this morning, like, I think in our last episode I was talking about oh fasting. Right. We're going to do a type of fast for Lent and isn't fasting great and right. it's so liberating to not be attached to food and <laughs> um and yeah that was in the first euphoric stages of oh, of fasting, of fasting right. which, <laughs> which doesn't necessarily carry you through the long haul. This past week for example there was a few days I had to do certain things that were very laborious and I was tired and I was like, the only way I'm going to motivate myself to do this thing I have to do right. is to break my fast. Right. And, and then I didn't necessarily anticipate this, but on the other hand, I wasn't surprised because it's happened to me before. Once you give yourself permission to break your fast, it's like your brain Says, oh my gosh, eat everything in sight, you know. <laughs> and so instead of just eating a little bit, or right. instead of e- eating a reasonable amount, right. I found myself overdoing. Yeah. And so I did want to say that, like, yeah, I'm sorry if I <laughs> if I let anyone believe that fasting for for me is easy. Um, no,
0: it's not easy. It's not.
1: And so yeah I, think, yeah, I think in some
0: ways, modified fasting is harder than like straight. In my opinion. In some ways. It's it's sometimes harder than just like water fast or juice fast. You know what I mean? Like a clear liquid fast. Yeah. Like is the moment you, to try and limit yourself to like one meal a day or like a liquid, like a soup or something, it's just, it's actually pretty hard to do yeah. that. It's easier to go like all or nothing.
1: So this is just permission. I'm giving permission in case anybody <laughs> needs permission from me. Uh yeah, listen to your body, do what serves your spiritual walk. And yeah. if it doesn't go exactly the way you thought it was going to go, it's totally yeah. fine. Because the whole point, right, it's to serve us spiritually. Right. And if it, as soon as it starts being something we're attached to or we're freaking out about, right. it's kind of lost its purpose. Well,
0: well and so. I know, like, I, I think I've told you, uh, I grew up in a very Catholic town. And, of course, my being a Protestant, it was always... With Catholics, at least in my experience, like they're just going to give up one thing. The question was, what are you going to give up for Lent? They're not giving up everything, so they might give up sugar or they might give up whatever, yeah. alcohol or something. But you know what I mean? And that might be easier to manage as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So you're still maybe restricting your pleasures, so to speak, to yeah. really focus on something more spiritual.
1: Obviously, vegan theology, right? I think we would love if someone was like, yeah, you know what? Been thinking about this vegan thing, been thinking about how it aligns with my truest values. Lent, I am gonna go for it. I'm gonna really do see what I can do to cut out animal products, animal flesh and animal secretions. And yeah, if somebody was doing that, we would really be excited. Right. If you're doing that, let us know, because that would really make our day. Right.
0: <laughs> And also this past week, we did get the opportunity to view a pre-screening of this new movie documentary coming out called Christ Spiracy, and it was very intriguing.
1: Yes, we got to see the rough cut as supporters of the film. The Kickstarter
0: campaign, right?
1: Yeah, we were given access to get to watch it here at home streaming i guess yeah and
0: was well, also a q and a afterward with kip anderson and cameron waters the uh, creators yeah the producers, producers directors
1: who by the way seem like lovely human yeah. beings yeah no, they do like re- for real and going into this i was i'm always this way i'm always like i don't want to get my hopes up too high right. because i'll be so disappointed if it's not what i thought it was going to be or not as good as i thought it would be It does not disappoint. I just want to say it was so well done and so compelling and so intriguing. And, of course, it leaves you with, as a Christian, it leaves you with a lot more questions and a lot more things like, oh, I want to look into that more. Right. And like I said, we saw the rough cut, and they said that the final version is going to be better and
0: Yeah, more robust. It's going to be different. There's going to be almost new He's. uh, I think Kip made it sound like it's almost going to seem like a whole different film. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, so they bought it back from Netflix. Oh, yeah. And one of the ways they are pushing it out is, I think they said 600 different theaters around the United States of America or or maybe around- Also the world, too. Encompassing, yeah, other English-speaking countries are going to be screening Christ Spiracy. So yeah, Wednesday, the 20th of March and or Sunday, the 24th of March, which is Palm Sunday. Mm. We encourage you to check it out. See if Christ Spiracy is being screened anywhere in your area. We are inviting our church and already several people have said they're going to come. The more people who buy tickets, the more likely... It'll be in theaters for an extended period of time right. and go to other theaters. So,
0: And I think there are opportunities to, if you want to get to have a group viewing, say, if you, say you did want to uh, rent, rent out a small theater for your church, then those opportunities exist. So go to Christspiracy.com and you can uh, grab tickets and look into that if you're interested. Yeah, So it's
1: really awesome. Yeah, it's going
0: to be awesome. Yeah, Andrew Lindsay's in it, uh, all kinds of other
1: And they're acting professors. Like, like they have such big dreams with this. The creators, they're not done. They have more footage that they're going to be releasing in time. and It's going
0: to be exciting, for sure.
1: They're yeah. hoping that, I think, one of the graphics I saw said millions of lives will be changed and billions of lives will be saved.
0: Right. So. No, And I think what it does kind of what you said, too. It just opens up more questions, more areas of inquiry for Christians and scholars to look into.
1: Yeah, very exciting. So second week of Lent, I'd like to turn towards the lectionary for this week and I've selected a portion of the psalm which is psalm 22 and we're also going to read from the gospel of mark so psalm 22 reads for God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help so obviously I love this verse because it, it really reveals God's heart, the heart of God. God does not despise, God does not scorn those who are suffering or those who are afflicted. God does not hide God's face from the despised or the scorned or the afflicted, but God listens to their cry for help. So again, I think most people when they read that, only think of human beings. God only cares about the human beings who are suffering. Right. But I don't believe that we have to limit God's compassion that way. I feel like we can say with confidence, God created all creatures and God loves and cares for and has compassion on all creatures. So from the Gospel of Mark, these are the words of Jesus coming at us now. It says, And Jesus summoned the crowd together, and his disciples and said to them if anyone wants to come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me to me that just reminds me of so much of what we learned from Andrew Lindsay reading animal theology yeah. where Lindsay points out first of all we're followers of Christ and so whatever Christ does is our model and Jesus is essentially saying just that right now. If you want to be my follower, if you want to come after me, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. It's a life of self-giving love, of self-sacrifice. And Andrew Lindsay calls the human species the servant species. That's the job that God gave us to do is to serve creation. So to me, this is a great verse to remind us of that, that we are here to... Be caretakers, be nurturers, be protectors, be providers for all of God's creature.
0: That's very interesting. And I know we've been working on uh, Gail Boss's book, Wild Hope, Stories for Lent from the Vanishing. And the book is focusing on animals and species that are in threat of extinction. Some have, I guess, thought to have been extinct and have come back. And so this week, the chapter that we're looking at, it's called The Sick. And it's focusing on four species of animals. The Panamanian golden frog, the Indiana bat, the koala, and then the black-footed ferret. Well, two of these are in the United States, so that's really cool. What's interesting about all these stories for the most part, I mean, some of them, two of them at least, the Panamanian golden frog and the Indiana bat are plagued with a kind of fungus. And you may have heard about with the bat, it's the it's called the white-nose syndrome, where they get this right. white fungus on their nose. And then for the Panamanian golden frog, it's a kind of fungus that's called a catrid. That's the short version of it. But uh, at any rate, not so much in the bat's case, but in the case of the golden frog, it, again, it what it comes down to is... This fungus came in through, and it's hard to really nail it down how it kind of came in. But what was happening was in their lush mountain home where they lived, people wanted to live there too. And so we start to see development of this area and bulldozers coming in and knocking down their home and pushing them out. And again, it's this drive by us humans, the stewards of this planet, where we just keep wanting more and more and we want to live in these lush places without taking into consideration the species that we might be harming and or pushing out. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like the case of the bats too, this fungus came in, they think, on the boots and the equipment of spelunkers, people who like to go into caves and explore. And what's interesting though, is that the European version of this bat, so these bats are in like Kentucky and kind of in the United States in caves. And this, this story goes back a few years, but the European versions of this bat have been able to evolve somewhat to this fungus and are now able to live. But this particular fungus was killing off these these Indiana bats. And so it's one of these things where when I just think about these frogs and I think about the bats, it's not that, you know, these are kind of natural things, natural evolution. You know, we, we don't give them time to adapt. Kind of the takeaway for me was in our rush to develop everything under the sun so that we can commodify everything and make a buck— We are going too fast and we're not considering these animals and their habitats and we're not giving them enough time to adapt. And in in the case of the frogs, actually, volunteers literally had to grab them all up and put them in a kind of secure environment, like away from this fungus, like so their own home is just covered in this fungus. You can actually Google the amphibian arc, and that's kind of where they were taken up and put in. So they're actually living in an artificial environment just for their survival, Mm. because scientists were worried that they would go extinct. If you look up Catrid, and it's C-H-Y-T-R-I-D, and it's short for a longer name of fungus, but you look it up already, Like I think they're saying like hundreds of amphibious species have already gone extinct as a result of it. So Mm. it's just a matter, I think, of possibly time. But again, we just need to consider as stewards how fast we want to go in and destroy an environment for to put up a brand new house or to make palm plantations or to make grazing for beef. But those are just those two animals. And then the koala, interestingly, in Australia, they eat off these eucalyptus trees. And I guess it's fairly poisonous for most species, but they've developed an intestinal flora that allows them to, to eat it. But again, people wanting to live in these beautiful lush areas where they live and are pushing them out, bulldozing their home down. And so it's pushing these koalas into neighborhoods, or at least people are now living with koalas in their backyards. And what's happening is hunters are killing them for their coats and just they are under stress, but I guess they have, they're known to have some form of chlamydia. And for the most part, when they're healthy and thriving in their own environments, the chlamydia isn't really an issue for them. But what's happened is, in this particular story in this book, is they're under stress because, again, their homes are being developed and they're being pushed out. And so there's the stress of the hunters. They get hit by cars, you know, roadkill, unfortunately. But also now they're in your neighborhood and your dog's out there and your dog's barking at a koala and chasing a koala up a tree and again, we've moved into their territory, and so they get stressed out. And so they're living in some form of chronic stress right. or in trauma, and that stress leads to the chlamydia basically killing them. So it's, like, it's just like us. We're the same way. I mean, our bodies can handle quite a lot. We're pretty resilient until we're overworked and overstressed and just chronic fatigue and chronic everything. Right. And it's not the way we're meant to live, really. Right. This story is just a great reminder that <laughs> if we're not chasing the right things, right? Mm. I feel more and more we're seeing books about meditation and slowing down. And I think I have a book, it's called The Art of Doing Nothing. It's this kind of thing where we are, our culture has just become so crazy and we're just chasing everything. And anyway,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, so that's just that. But then the last thing, uh, the last story is about these black-footed ferrets in... Wyoming. And what's interesting about them, they were plagued with a uh, distemper and a Sylvatic plague, and it's a flea-borne disease brought to North America from Asia. And it's infested these uh, prairie dogs. And of course, the black-footed ferrets feed on the prairie dogs. And actually, scientists thought the black-footed ferrets were extinct. Mm. And then one day, a rancher's dog brought a dead one up to his porch, and then he took it to the authorities, and they were like, oh, and then they came to his ranch, and they found like a colony of like 118 black-footed ferrets, and then they started working with them, trying to get them healthy and build them up, and and they finally came up with a vaccine for the prairie dogs. It's like a peanut butter vaccine that they love to eat, and since the black-footed ferret eats the prairie dog, the black-footed ferret is back on the rise, and it's just also interesting. I mean, I think the great takeaway in this particular story, because it's where we live, too. We live in Montana. There's a lot of ranching here, and, you know, gophers are a thing. And, in fact, where we live in the summertime, gophers are kind of running up to our door. And it's just a reminder. Maybe we've pushed into their territory too much. That's how I feel. But we know all kinds of people that they just think it's a fun thing on a Saturday to go and just shoot gophers all, all day. Right. They get permission from some rancher to go on their land and just light them up. So.
1: It's so interesting to me that these species, all that it takes is for the humans to designate them as pests. Right. Oh, those are just Pests. I mean, I think I've even heard in Australia that kangaroos are considered pests, Mm. you know, which to the rest of the world, that's horrifying because Mm. everybody loves kangaroos. But yeah, as soon as we push into their territory and they start going to the bathroom in our lawn or digging holes in our lawn or what have you, all we have to do is designate them as pests. And then suddenly it's fair game. And we can see them as useless. We can see them as having no value. Right. When in reality, scientists are like, actually, this particular species is doing all kinds of good right. Right. to this environment. Well, and
0: that's that's just it. I mean, because people here will poison them or whatever. But, like, one of the awesome parts of this story is that these conservationists for the Black-Footed ferret were working with ranchers. And they, or they were explaining to the ranchers, like, hey— These ferrets and these prairie dogs are doing a lot of good for your soil. They're moving the soil. They're keeping the soil healthy. They're also providing life to, like, 100 other species of insects and other little animals. And the rancher's like, okay, and they said, well, listen— that's great. Can you, like, dial back some of the restrictions you guys have put on, on what we can do on our land? And the conservation was like, yeah, great. And so they did, and they're working together. And all. it's just a nice thing where at least the ranchers are starting to appreciate in this particular story the prairie dog. But we've talked about this all the time. Maybe we sound like a broken record, but ranching has pushed into their territory. And I know here we know people and ranchers here that you, all you hear about are the, are the negative sides of gophers and in this area where gophers build these tunnels— and so the top is very fragile and a cow or a, a horse falls into this hole, breaks its leg, and then they have to put the horse or the cow down as a result. And so they just think these prairie dogs or gophers here are a nuisance.
1: Right.
0: So it's just a matter of perspective, I suppose.
1: Right. Again, like I think you were kind of alluding to, it's almost like, well, ranching is untouchable. We have to protect ranching at all costs. Right. Right. Like somehow it's like, The one untouchable industry, like, it it takes precedence over everything. Right. And so because we're protecting the rancher, yeah, we're willing to endanger so many species of wildlife, all the way down from the ground squirrels, all the way up to the predators, because ranchers take precedence. So, which is, again, a totally unnecessary industry. Right. Right we're domesticating animals and making their lives a living hell and we're endangering or driving into extinction. All of these other species. Right. I also thought it was really interesting how you were saying we enter into these ecosystems very rapidly, very forcefully. We don't stop to consider, okay, who already lives here? Right. (laughs) And, how can we best enter into this endeavor without harming them? Or can we harm them as little as possible? I was even thinking there was construction going on one spring in our neighborhood. And I knew because I had seen the little gopher babies, the parents with the babies. And right. so I knew that they were just now starting to give birth to their babies. And I was thinking, we're digging up a foundation for this apartment building Right at the time where they're giving birth and, right. and rearing their young, their yeah. babies. Like, could we at least wait? You know, uh, like that must be so stressful yeah. for their whole community, their whole social structure within their species. So, yeah, it would just be interesting. It would be interesting if the human species started to at least take a pause and right. think about how can we do this in a way that is most humane and doesn't just think about money and profit, uh, but actually thinks about, you know, we don't want to wipe out every species except dogs and humans. Right.
0: You know? <laughs> well, no, it just it got me thinking, too, about in Montana, I don't know if you remember this, like maybe at this point, 10, 15 years ago, this company was mining gold out of these rocks at the headwaters of the Missouri River, I believe it was, and the way that they were getting the gold out of the rocks is that they were they called it cyanide leap heach mining. And they were basically dropping some solution of cyanide into these rocks. And what it did is it released the gold from these rocks. But the only problem was they were at the headwaters of a, of a, of a massive river, the Missouri river. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what the heck for what? And so, and this was the part of the argument is like, okay, you guys are coming in here doing this. You're providing jobs for this area for like 10 years. And when you get all the gold, you're gone. Yeah. And you, and then all you've done is you've left us with this mess,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: potentially a toxic mess, right? A, a deadly mess. And it's like, what, what are we doing?
1: Right. Yeah, we can do better. We we call our Homo Sapien. I mean, doesn't that mean like intelligent one or something? Like, that? <laughs> like we we pride ourselves on being so superior on this planet to everything else because we're so intelligent. We have a big brain. Like let's use that intelligence. Let's challenge ourselves to use our intelligence to actually think of ways of doing things that don't harm our planet. Yeah.
0: Close my mind well hey short episode today and uh, we appreciate you listening and then uh, like I said once Lent is over we're going to try to get into sacrifice and, and
1: atonement
0: atonement as, mm-hmm. as it relates to sacrifice so and we're very excited to uh, check out Christspiracy and talk about that when uh, once we see it uh, and I think we're going to see it on uh, Sunday on Palm Sunday
1: yeah March, March 24th
0: yeah. looking forward to it so hopefully you can check it out as well yeah All right. Well, hey, see ya.
1: Bye, everybody.